0: Welcome to the North Shore Vineyard Church audio podcast. I'm Crispin Schroeder. Hey, today on the podcast we have part eight in our series on the Gospel of John. And this is going to be delivered by a guest speaker we had, North Shore Vineyard's very own Mike Manifold. This is a story about Jesus and Nicodemus. And this one's called Nicodemus. It's not just his story. I think you're going to get a lot out of this as Mike has as well. He will relate that in the coming minutes. And speaking of getting good stuff out of the Bible, we just started a class this week called How to Read the Bible for All It's Worth. And this will go on for another four weeks, uh, up until Mardi Gras. And if for some reason you missed it, please make the next one, because we had a great class this week, uh, a lot of good discussions, a lot of practical tools to help you in studying the Bible. So I think you'll get a lot out of that. Well, let's head over to the talk. North Shore Vineyard Church in downtown Covington. Thank you for listening. Don't forget to check us out on the web. Northshorevineyard.org
1: A man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the signs that you were doing if God were not with him. "'Jesus replied, "'Very truly, I tell you, "'no one can see the kingdom of God without being born again. "'How can anyone be born again when they are old?' Nicodemus asked. "'Surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born.' "'Jesus answered, "'Very truly, I tell you, "'no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and the Spirit. "'Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to Spirit.' You should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit.
2: I'm Mike Manifold, like, uh, like they were saying earlier, Crispin's out of town this week, he's off recording a, uh, I think a worship album or something, somewhere in Texas, so he's, he's pretty pumped up about that. Um, anyway, yeah, this morning we're going to talk about Nicodemus. Just um, a neat passage, you know, when, when we talked some months ago about we we're going to read the book of John, uh, kind of was thinking in the back of my head, you know, I wanted to ask Crispin if I could do this, because I really, I like this passage. You know, so it took me a little bit of a while to work up my courage, and then... I said, you know, hey, Crispin, you know, when we get to that, um, I don't know. I really, I'd, I'd like to be a part of that, and obviously he said, yeah, because here I am. Either that, or he had no other options when he went out of town. But <laughs> anyway, it uh, it's a neat story, you know. It's a story that always kind of, it's just always kind of had a thing for me because it, it just kind of, it's a story that kind of grabs my heart, you know. I mean, it's when, when we look at the story of Nicodemus, it, it's it's a story of curiosity, you know, and curiosity leading to. To a step out, you know, and to change, you know, and then kind of to more change as it goes on. And and I guess maybe one of the reasons I really like this story is because I feel like, you know, to some extent, this is my story too. You know, that this idea of some curiosity leading to a step, leading to some change, and then kind of running on. Um, some, of y- some of y'all know my story. Um, I talked about some of it when we were, you know, reading Philippians, but. Back in '03, my mom got real sick, you know, and when I say she got real sick, I mean she got real sick like ICU for months. Um, I didn't really grow up, I grew up going to church, but I really didn't grow up in a church, so I didn't have much of a grid for that. And, you know, kind of through the course of my mom being sick and, and being around various members of my family, I kind of got a chance to see, I don't know, kind of see some differences in, in kind of how we were. You know, my parents were married for 51-something years. And so, you know, through the point of my mom being sick, my dad was, he was a wreck, you know, as, as well he should be. I mean, it, you know, she was sick. They'd been married for 50 years. He didn't know what was going to happen. So he was a bit of a basket case. Um, my sisters were kind of running through some of that as well. I'm the youngest of five. Uh, so my sisters were all, I don't know, 10, 12, 15 years older than me. Uh, I kind of felt like, you know, as the youngest, you know, part of my job was to make sure I took care of my dad, you know, because i say, my dad was really going to have a tough time with it. So regardless of what was going on on the inside, I was really trying to look like on the outside I had it all together for my dad and kind of could be that, you know, whatever. When he was losing it, I could be the one he could count on to get it done. But on the inside, that really wasn't my story, you know. I guess on the inside... And I really, I wasn't really a wreck with it, but I was just kind of numb to it. You know, I just kind of was keeping the pain at a distance, keeping the stress of it at a distance because it was my mom. I just didn't really want to buy into all that. My brother, my brother's 13 years older than me. um, My brother kind of was seeing things in a different way. And I was seeing, you know, my brother was coping with it. I don't want to say coping with it because really coping with it is not right. My brother had a sense of just some inner strength that, that really I didn't have. Now, my brother's story was, and he he and I kind of grew up the same way. you know we both kind of grew up going to church, but really not doing the deal. Um, the difference in Paul was in the nineties, he married a gal who started dragging him to church you know and, and when I say dragging him to church, I mean dragging him to church I mean you know we we used to laugh about it you know when he first started first started going with her, we'd laugh about this church down at the end of Williams boulevard that uh, that she would take him to and you know, uh, we'd call it a cult, and we'd call it whatever, and, you know. Then one day I realized that I was the only one laughing. He kind of quit laughing, you know. He kind of got sucked into it. And, and I was happy for him with that, you know. I mean, I could see that, you know, he had a new sense of peace, um, but kind of, I didn't really see it for what it was. I kind of saw it like it was a placebo, you know, kind of like, hey, whatever, if that's what makes him feel good, that's great. I'm glad he's got that, you know. Um, and that's kind of as much as I thought it was, just kind of a thing that made him feel better about what was going on. So mom's sick, you know, and I don't know if you guys have, well, hopefully you hadn't, you know, when you got a relative in ICU, it, it seems like you spent an awful lot of time in the ICU, ICU waiting areas, you know. I mean, it's just, I don't know, you just, you kind of do, you're waiting for the time where you get to go in, and you then get, you, you, get you get to go in and see him for about a half hour, and then you get done with that, you kind of need to regroup for a minute before you leave because you're just kind of emotionally drained. So we spent a lot of time in the ICU waiting room, you know, and it, a lot of times it was me and my brother together because my dad would just like go off all by himself, and it'd be me and Paul, you know, and and we'd be talking, and I don't know, I mean, I would, I would see something different about the way he was dealing with this as opposed to the way the rest of us were dealing with this, and the only thing really different about all of us was Paul was a Christian, and none of us really were. I mean, we were, I guess, some, you know, my sisters were kind of they were doing the going to church thing still, but. They didn't really seem like they had that inside themselves, you know. Um, the church we were going to, or excuse me, the, the, the hospital we were going to was EJ on the South Shore. Well, I was living on the North Shore, uh, so when I go across there on, on Saturdays, we do the, the uh, ICU thing, and then, you know, sometimes Paul would say, hey, I'm going to go to church if you want. Come to church with me, then we'll go get something to eat. Okay, I can do that. I mean, you know, I've been to church before. I was used to going and doing my hour and getting out. You know, so that's what we would do. I'd go eat, you know, I would go to church with my brother, Then we'd go eat. We did that for a while because, as I say, she was in the hospital for a while. And and somewhere along the way, it really kind of started to get into me. You know, somewhere up in there, it it started to kind of change, I don't know, kind of change who I was, you know, and then some of the, some of what I was hearing in church kind of seemed like it started to make its way in, you know, and I, I didn't have, some folks you talk to, you know, and they'll say... You know, it was December 23rd, and I was in the fourth row, second seat, and they were playing Amazing Grace, and bam, I just got smoked. I didn't have that. That was not, you know, that, that wasn't my story. Uh, for a long time, I was kind of jealous of people who had that because I kind of felt like I was missing out on all that God had for me. But, but I didn't have that, you know. And I guess it's kind of like if we were to get in the car and, and start driving towards Biloxi, and, and we're paying attention, and I'm looking out the window... I might see that sign on the side of the road that says, Welcome to Mississippi. You know, and I'd kind of know where that border was. I'd know when I crossed over from Louisiana to Mississippi. That, to me, I guess is kind of like that whole December 23rd experience where you're in the pew and it just kind of whatever, and the chair just kind of hits you. Instead, it was kind of more like I fell asleep in the car. Hopefully I wasn't driving, but anyway, I fell asleep in the car. <laughs> and I woke up and I was in Biloxi. You know, and, and I didn't know exactly when it happened or where it happened, but I knew I was in a new place. You know, I, I knew I was in a different place. That was kind of my experience with God. I don't really know exactly when it happened. I don't know exactly where I was when it started to happen, but I know I just kind of started feeling different, you know, and I kind of, I had some, you know, I, I don't know. I just, I, as mom stayed in the hospital as we ran through that, Instead of, you know, kind of on the inside numb, on the outside looking like I had it together for my dad, I started to kind of have some of that same peace that my brother had, you know, and, and, you know, that that same peace that comes from God. Well, you know, shortly after that, um, they did a baptism at church, and my wife and I decided we wanted to go get baptized. You know, so we did. And it was... You know that act of baptism, and, and you know talking about baptism, um, I think that baptism kind of it kind of it kind of changes you on, on two levels. You know, on the one level, you kind of got that you know that decision that you make in your head. Um, I'm going to go do this thing. You know, it kind of I don't know if it's the act of the decision or whatever. You know, but kind of like you know John the Baptist would talk to would would call people to come be baptized. You know, and that, that was kind of the repentance side of it, kind of a, I'm not going to do life like I was doing it. I'm going I'm to throw my lot in with God. And I'm going to, you know, I'm going to kind of believe in him and, and, and let him make this change in me. Um, you kind of got it on that one level, but almost more than that, it's almost like it, it kind of opens the door for God to come in, you know, and, and he promises that in a bunch of different places, you know. In, in Revelations, he talks about how he stands at the door and he knocks and he waits for us to open up the door. You know, maybe baptism is like that. I don't know. You know, he's, he's waiting, you know, he standing at the door knocking, and, and when we decide we want to be baptized, it's like we're opening the door, and, and he comes. I don't know about all that. I'm not a theologian, but I can tell you, you know, when, when I got baptized and the Holy Spirit came into my life, it really just kind of changed everything, you know, and, and it was like I had a new set of eyes or a new set of ears, you know. Um, I'm in the people business, so... When I talk to people, I, I always tended to listen to what they were saying, you know. But, like, I'd be talking to somebody before I got baptized. I'd be talking to somebody before the Holy Spirit really came into my heart, and they'd be saying, you know, uh, my wife's sick. I got this thing going on. I'm thinking, boy, but they're going to miss a bunch of work, you know. Or, or they'd be talking about, the, you know, the problem with they're having with their kids, and I'm kind of thinking about it along those lines. After, you know, after I got baptized and, you know, kind of after I got this new set of ears, it was like I could, I could just hear the pain in that. You know, I could almost like hear the pain that, that God would feel in that. You know, and it hurt me. It hurt my heart, you know, and and not just on the bad side of it. You know, I, I, I would be talking to people and I would kind of see the joy that they were having in their life, too, and kind of got to participate in that in just a whole different way, you know, and, and it was kind of like, in my life, it was kind of like a rock running down a hill. It just kind of started picking up more and more speed, you know, um... Started taking vacation time to go off on, on various mission trips. And that was pretty, you know, that was really neat. I mean, it was kind of funny to think about taking a vacation to go work like a dog, but, you know, anyway. <laughs> um, going off on a mission trip, you know, it, it's, and it's, it's really something that, you know, I, I think everybody ought to take a shot at doing, whether you do it wherever, foreign, domestic, it really doesn't matter, because it's kind of like you take a piece of time and you say, Okay, I'm going to give this to God. But it's kind of easy to do that and not have it intrude into the rest of your life because it's a thing that you go do. You know, you you go, whether you drive or you fly, you go someplace else, you're there for a week, you're doing this thing, and then you kind of come back to your real life, you know, and and it's easy to kind of compartmentalize it off into this thing that I do when I'm out of town. Um, I remember in 2009... We went, whatever year it was, the Iowa River flooded. We went to go gut houses up in Iowa, you know, and so I was there for a week. And I really, you know, I felt like I was doing something. I really did. I felt like I was just, I was doing something for God. I felt like I was really, you know, pleased with the job I was doing. I get back home, and I'm driving to work on a Monday morning. And, you know, I'm getting on the causeway, and I'm just like, I'm just going to work. You know, it's kind of, God, is this really what you want me doing? You know, I mean, it, 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 you just want me going to work? I mean, you know, I kind of was doing this thing. I mean, I really felt like I, you know, uh, last week was so, I just felt like I was doing so much stuff, you know, I mean, and, and this week, it's kind of like, I'm going to work, you know, and, and, and so as I'm kind of driving along and I'm praying, you know, I'm like, you know, God, if if, if you want me to quit my job and, <laughs> and do this, I'll do it. Just don't make me guess, you know, I mean, just make it really obvious, because, you know, there's always that part of you that hates your job. You know, and you kind of, you know, I don't know. There's just always that. Maybe it's just me. I don't know. But there's always <laughs> that part of me that kind of hates my job. And you know, I didn't want to get confused between what I wanted to do and what I felt like I was telling me to do. You know, so that, and that was kind of my prayer. You know, hey, look, if you want me to, you want me to quit my job? I'll do it. But please, just don't make me guess. So I get to work, and uh, I'm in my office, kind of. Like an idiot, I'd, I was gone for a week. I'd left a half a cup of coffee on my desk, you know. So I'm in the lunchroom, kind of, and it had a nice shade of green mold going up in it. So I'm in the lunchroom, and I'm cleaning out my coffee mug, you know, and there's this guy in there uh, that I work with, and he's reading something, but I'm really not paying attention to him because I'm, I'm all up in the work mode now. You know, I forgot about that whole conversation with God. I'm just kind of thinking, all the stuff i got to do and the emails i got to answer to my desk. Oh, I just saw that. So I'm in there cleaning my coffee cup, and Eddie says to me, he says, Mike, can I ask you a question? I said, yeah, what's that, Eddie? And he said, uh, you know, I heard you're a Christian. Are you? I was like, wow. <laughs> you know, Eddie, if you've got to ask, I guess I'm not doing that good of a job. <laughs> but, yeah, I am. And so we started talking, you know, and, and uh, we just started talking about that whole thing and kind of what was going on with that. And I told him about my week before. and Anyway, so I, I get done with that, and I go back into my office. And I start working, and it comes to me about an hour later. Okay, so I got my answer from God. You know, I mean, He still wants me here doing my thing, and it's not like you know a separate deal. I mean, He can be there too. I don't know. You know, bringing God to work was kind of a uh, was kind of a different experience to me. I mean, you know, after after I became a Christian, I didn't have any problem. You know, with God at home, praying with my wife, praying with my family. You know, God in my life and doing things out there, but work was kind of hard to bring God to work. I don't know if I kind of thought, you know, God didn't really want to be bothered with work; it's just work. Um, but I had a hard time with that, you know. And I remember I was going to call on this guy because I, I do some sales, so I'm going to call on this guy, and I'm out in the parking lot of his office, and I know it's going to be a beating because every time I went to go see this guy, it was just absolutely a beating. And I'm out there, and I'm like, you know, hey God, can you can you give me a little help here? And that was probably about the extent of my prayer. Can you give me a little bit of help here? Um, and I walked in to go see this guy, and I mean, it just was it was a perfect call. The guy was like, you know, here we're going to do this and we're going to do that, and blah blah blah. And it was just, kind of like, wow, I wish I started praying like a couple of years ago about work. But, <laughs> but kind of like I say, you know, like a, you know, it just kind of like a like a rock rolling downhill. It just kind of picked up more and more speed for me. You know, when we started talking about moving, to, you know, planting a church over here, you know, I was like, hey, you want to use my house? What can we do? Let's make this thing happen, you know, or when Crispin was talking about moving to the North Shore, you know, I'm thinking, I got boxes, I got a truck, we can make this thing, you know, we can make this thing happen, let's go. Like I say, kind of that, that rock running down a hill, you know, from the curiosity about my brother to, you know, to, to taking the step to start to make some changes, to making more changes. You know, I kind of feel like the, the story of Nicodemus, it, it's really, it, it's, a, it's a similar story, you know. It, unlike, I mean, I know my story. I know what kind of led up to my deal. We don't really see that, you know, when we start talking about Nicodemus. Um, it kind of starts like a film clip. We really don't know what happened prior to that. We just know that he had some curiosity. You know, we really don't know exactly what he heard or what he saw. um, But something got his curiosity up. You know, I mean, they they talk about Nicodemus was a Pharisee, you know, and, and a part of the Jewish ruling council. And, you know, maybe he and his buddies were going to listen to Jesus talk to kind of catch him saying something they can trip him up or try to turn the crowd against him or whatever. Don't really know, but somewhere up in there, he heard something to where he sneaks out in the middle of the night to come talk to Jesus. You know, something gets his attention. And, and it starts this whole you know, conversation about, I can tell you, you know, Rabbi, I can tell you you're a man of God because of these things that you do. You know? And Jesus tells him, you know, the only way you're going to get, the only way you're going to see the kingdom of God, the only way you're going to get into the kingdom of God is to be born again. In, another, in Matthew, it says, you know, Jesus tells some people, "You got to come to me as a little child." You know, I guess when when you think about, so what's different about a child? What, why the born again? You know, what's what's up with that? You know, kind of as as you know, Nicodemus says, "What? I got to go back in the womb?" I mean, what, what's going on there? You know, when you think about a child, I mean, I guess I don't know. I, I think about a child. What makes them different is. Children trust, you know. Children haven't learned to be cynical yet, you know. Children trust because they hadn't learned that sometimes people lie, you know. They just, if you tell a child something, he believes you. He he trusts in that, you know. Um, Children, I think, are, are, they're a lot more teachable because they don't think that they know everything, not to say that all adults do, but you know, I think kids are much more willing to, to learn. You know, when you see a kid who's first starting to crawl or first starting to walk, you know, their eyes are real big and they're looking at everything and, and they're just kind of taking it all in, you know, and they're just, they're, just, they're just so impressionable, you know, and they're kind of like a blank canvas, you know. They don't have any preconceived ideas. They don't have any, they, they don't have any of that. They're just, they're just there kind of, you know, soaking it all up. You know, I guess, I don't know, in, in, in looking at this, you know, when, when Jesus talks about the kingdom of God, kind of as Crispin said last week, he, he really, I think sometimes we want to think about the kingdom of God being something that happens after we're dead, you know, from an, an eternal standpoint that we're in the kingdom of God. But I don't think that was Jesus' heart. I mean, he, he talks about, you know, when you, when you read through what he talks, he talks about the kingdom of God really more than he talks about almost any other single subject. And he tries so many different ways to paint pictures of it for folks to get. You know, like he, he talks, in one area he talks and he says, you know, the kingdom of God is, is like a mustard seed, you know, and, it, and it, from this mustard seed grows this, you know, big tall plant. Or he says somewhere else, you know, the kingdom of God is, is like yeast, you know, and when it mixes in the dough, it, it, it makes the dough rise. He takes a lot of different stabs at painting this picture, you know, and he, and he paints it a lot of different ways. And I think really it's because we're all kind of different, you know, and, and that's not an accident. I mean, we're, we are like we are because God made us to be this way, but we're all different, so we're all going to kind of hear these things in a different way. You know, when, when I hear the whole, you know, the kingdom of God is like a mustard seed, I'm not a farmer. I don't really know anything about mustard seeds. It doesn't really mean anything to me, you know. It, so it, that's not. I, I just don't get it, you know. Or when, when he talks about the kingdom of God being like yeast, I'm not a baker. I, I don't really get that either, you know. It uh, it's kind of like it's kind of like all these different ways that, that Jesus talked about the kingdom of God. It's kind of like you know he, he like we're all locks. You know, like we're all locks and, and all these, these different ways of saying it are like different keys, you know. And so he takes, this, he takes a key and he says, all right, the kingdom of God is like a mustard seed. He sticks up in the lock and he, and he tries it and maybe it opens, maybe it doesn't. But if it doesn't open, he's like, okay, well, you know what, I got a different one. The kingdom of God is, is like yeast, you know. And he tries these different ways to, to, to unlock the picture in our head to help us get it because we're all different, you know. And, and he wants us to get that glimpse he helps us to get that glimpse. He tries so many different ways to help us get that glimpse kind of relentlessly because, you know, when we get that glimpse and our curiosity raises, you know, like Nicodemus, we, we take a step, you know, we, we take a step towards God and, and maybe give him permission to start working in our life. See, God's process is, is, is kind of that step at a time kind of process, you know, he, it's really kind of rare that, that God will lay the whole thing out for us and say, we're going to do this, then we're going to do this, then we're going to do this, and kind of lay it out start to finish. More often it's that, hey, I want you to take this step, you know, and sometimes that step is bigger than others, but it's really kind of immaterial. It's, it's kind of taking that step blindly almost, you know, trusting, really not knowing where it's going, just trusting that this is what God wants me to do, you know, and trusting that it's, it's you know, it's, it's the right thing to do. I think sometimes, although it would be easier, you know, if we knew where it was going, I think sometimes if we knew where it was going, we wouldn't go, you know. I look back, you know, so I'm sitting in the ICU waiting room at EJ, if I don't know what I end up here. I don't know if I'd listen to my brother. I mean, <laughs> I really don't, because you know, I just couldn't see myself ever doing something like this. You know, I think that uh, we have a hard time really thinking about. You know, it, that's just—it's a lot. You know, when you when you're stepping through it, it's it's a lot. You know, it reminds me of—I uh, don't know it, those steps. It's kind of like, how far can you walk away from your old life? You know, Jesus, when he he's teaching, and yeah, I don't really know what chapter it is, but at one point he's talking about this rich young ruler that comes talking to him, and this fellow comes to him and he says, "You know what? I've done everything you've said for me to do. I've, you know, I've tried to take care of the poor. I've, I fed the, you know, I fed the hungry. Um, I've tried to honor my mother and father. You know, all these things. What would you? What do you want me to do now?" And Jesus says to him, I want you to sell all your stuff, give it to the poor, and come follow me. And since the guy kind of leaves, like, he just leaves. I mean, he he can't do that. He just leaves. I don't think he could imagine what life would be like without his stuff. I don't think he could imagine what it would be like after he did those things. You know, he couldn't see where really that, couldn't see where that really, you know, would couldn't envision that life past that point. I don't know. I think, you know, sometimes I think we have to unlearn things. These things that we think we know, you know, these, these things that we really feel like are just fact or just, you know, are just, they're just absolutely fact, we've got to almost unlearn them. You know, when, uh, when I went to Haiti last January, okay, so I don't know if you've ever been to Haiti or seen much of it, I mean, it's poor. I mean, it's just, it's, it's poor. It's, those people are just impoverished like this. It's hard to imagine without seeing it, but, you know, forget running water. Forget electricity. I mean, forget forget a building. You're basically, you're living in a house looks like something a, a wasp would make. It's made out of mud and sticks. It's a hut. You know, the, uh, the folks are running around, you know, just in maybe the one set of clothes they got and they're they're eating once a day, you know and 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 it's just they're absolutely living in just this squalor, and you'd think you know you'd think about i mean my gosh how can how can they live like that, but you know those are some of the happiest people I've ever seen in my life, you know it was just it was amazing you know just just how happy and how content they were because they had everything they needed, you know, and I guess. In in my mind, thinking about living like that, I can't imagine, I couldn't envision how one could be happy living like that. But these folks, you know, like we, when we were there, uh, we did church one day, and, and, you know, church started at about 9 o'clock in the morning, and we worshiped for like three hours. And it wasn't like the look at your watch kind of three hours, like how much more is this guy going to play? I mean, it was just like, it was three hours of just, you know, really wide open worship. And these folks were just, they were just so happy. The theme of this church was, you know, we're blessed to be in God's presence. And that's really, you could see it in those folks. They were just so happy to be there. You know, what I mean, they were just so happy to, to, to be there worshiping God. And, you know, as I say, I couldn't even imagine how you could live like that, let alone be happy like that. You know, nor apparently could this guy imagine what life would be like without his stuff. You know, and, and I think that that's kind of you know, in a sense, unlearning those things is a piece of being born again. You know, it, it seems to me, you know, that a lot of times we hear, you know, them talking about this passage, we hear folks talk about it. It's like born again is like something that you do once. You know, like you take this step, you're born again once. And I really don't see it like that. I think it's, it's like... Uh, it's like almost like adopting a life of being born again, of being willing to allow God to show you new things, of of being willing to to allow God to take these things that you thought were true, and and you know and have Him say, "Yeah, but not really." Let's forget about that. Let me show you something new. You know, when we get so caught up into our worldview, we just can't see that. You know, we just we we can't even we we, we just it, it won't get through our heads. It's it's like me talking about yeast. I don't, you know, with, without God's eyes, without God's ears, without, you know, the curiosity to take the step and the trust to say, even though I don't get it, I'm going to go ahead and, and be obedient, you know. I don't know. You know, we, I think we've all got stuff like that. You know, something neat about the Nicodemus story too is, and it goes on a little bit further past this, But at the end of the passage, if we stop reading right there, we really wouldn't know how it comes out. You know, we really wouldn't know what's happening with it, because unlike a lot of times where folks would talk and and people would fall on their knees and worship God, or maybe they'd say, hey, I want to go get baptized right now, when this story, when Nicodemus ends, at least at this point, it just kind of ends. Like, then they just start talking about something else, and we really don't know, well, so what did Nicodemus take away from this conversation? we get a couple of chapters up the road and we see Nicodemus again. And really, Nicodemus, is, it's, it's kind of a neat story because some of these folks in the Bible, we see them once and then they're gone. You know, we really don't know how their life ended up coming out. But with Nicodemus, we kind of get to see, you know, we, we get to see a couple more times, you know, how, it, how this all impacted him. And so the next time we see him, he's with the Pharisees, you know, again, he's with the, his Pharisee uh, and they're talking about what they're going to do to go get Jesus, how they're going to trap him, whatever. And Nicodemus is kind of like, wait a minute. Doesn't our law say that we got to give this guy a shot and explain him what's going on before we go and grab him? And all the other Pharisees, you know, are kind of like, what, do you want his disciples now or what you got going on there, you know? Where's this coming from? Um, and kind of, you know, attack him. Something he heard this night, gotten his head enough to where he would argue with those folks you know and i guess kind of like me not really knowing where that conversation in the icu waiting room was going to end up leading yeah i don't think nicodemus really knew that you know there at the end of john i think that's where we really see it all kind of come together and we really see how far nicodemus has come because at the end of john you know where so jesus has been crucified and simon goes to the authorities I don't know who Simon is, but anyway, Simon goes to the authorities and says, "Can we have his body? We want to we want to prepare his body for burial and get it off the cross and, and buried before the uh, the Passover feast begins." When they give him the body, Nicodemus is one of the guys that helps prepare the body for burial, and that you know, I guess on one level, that's kind of neat because Nicodemus. I mean, yeah, so he's he's Pharisee, Jewish Jewish ruling council, but you know, he goes from, from all of that to curiosity to standing up for Jesus, and now he's going to help bury him. That's pretty, I mean, that's pretty dramatic. But it's really, I guess when you look at a, the life of a Jew, you know, a lot of a Jew's life and a lot of Jewish culture was, was kind of hinged around not becoming what they called ceremonially unclean. I mean, they, they had a whole host of things that you couldn't do. You know, otherwise you ended up being ceremonially unclean, and, and you know what that meant was for seven days you were clean, you couldn't participate in any of the feasts, you know, and there was some you know, there was just a lot of things you couldn't do. One of the biggest, and you know they range from very what I would think it's you know, looking at kind of minor stuff, but you know at the extreme side of it was they were prohibited from touching a dead body. I mean they, they couldn't have anything to do with it. You know, so here's a guy, and it's not like Nicodemus didn't know that. He was a Pharisee. I mean, he knew all those rules. He grew up in all those rules, you know, and, and he must have been a pretty devout Pharisee if he's a part of the ruling council. So he kind of goes from, from a root in all of that and kind of this whole, you know, law is everything and, and, and being caught up in all these laws to really kind of get in the new freedom that, that these steps with God have taken him away from that old life. that's kind of at a different level, you know. I mean, that, that really kind of point A to point B, that the change that happens in his life, you know, kind of from a series of steps. Um, I don't know. I mean, I, maybe, that's, maybe that's where Nicodemus really kind of just grabs at my heart because, you know, he, God didn't really care where he was coming from. He took him from his point of curiosity and started him walking, you know, and, and just kind of let him keep on walking. Um, and help him kind of get you know get kind of a, a blank canvas with it, so I don't know, I think it's kind of that story of trust, you know I think that's really kind of where we're all kind of called and kind of challenged by God is when when he asks us to do something is to trust him enough to to take that step, even though we don't know where it's going to go and you know to to take that step and and follow what's going on even when we, you know we maybe have ideas where it's going, but he kind of gives us a lot of those opportunities and you know, what I kind of find comfort in is it, he never loses hope on us, or he never loses hope with us. It's not like I gave you four things to do and you had not done any of them, so that's it, I'm done with you. You know, he just keeps giving us those opportunities. You know, he loves us enough to keep giving us those opportunities. So, God, you know, we just, uh, God, we just thank you for letting us be a part of your family. You know God, we thank you for your patience, God, you love us more than we deserve and love us more than we we ever could deserve and I don't know, God, I'm just kind of overwhelmed with that this morning, I just I thank you for uh thank you for all those steps that you do put in front of us God, and I thank you for for making me curious, God and giving me the courage to follow you where you're going and God, we just love you. Amen.
0: I was blinded by the devil, born already ruined. Stone cold dead as I stepped out of the womb. By his grace I have been touched. By his word I have been healed. By his hand I've been delivered. By his spirit, I've been sealed. I've been saved.